0: Welcome to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. Reformation Fellowship provides support and fellowship for all who would stand for the Reformation of Christ Church worldwide. We long to see the Church revitalized by the Gospel and seek to encourage all who share that vision. We gather together the Gospel-Hearted Fellowship around Gospel-Minded Theology. Hello, and welcome back to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. My name is Justin Shell, and I am your host. We are in the middle of a conversation with Stephan Jenkins, lecturer in Greek and Biblical Studies for Union School of Theology, and that conversation that we're in the middle of is all about justification by faith alone in the Old Testament, or what I sometimes call the Christian nature of the Old Testament, that it is a book that is all about Christianity, that uh, yes, Christ is there, but the way Christ saves us is also there, that that while there are differences, there are discontinuities from old to new, a major continuity, however, is the way God saves his people, and therefore the way we know God, the way we encounter God and uh, encounter his salvation, his saving work. So last week was justification by faith alone in the old, sorry, in Genesis. Today we're discussing justification by faith alone in the rest of the Pentateuch, the rest of the five first books of the Old Testament. And next we come back for our concluding conversation where we look at how the New Testament authors see justification by faith alone, not only the first five books of the Old Testament, but throughout the Old Testament. So you'll want to listen to that. You'll want to go back and listen to last week's episode if you missed that, but we're going to jump in right now with Stephan Jenkins on Justification by Faith Alone in the Pentateuch. Stephan, welcome back to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. We're so glad to snag you for this second of three conversations.
1: Hey, thank you for having me back. It's a real pleasure.
0: Now, we looked last week at Justification by Faith in Genesis, so we know it wasn't invented in the New Testament. It's, it's clearly there in Genesis. So,
1: job done, right? We, d- we don't need to, to keep talking about justification by faith in the Old Testament, do we? Right. Well, it, in one sense, you might I- imagine not. Uh, but uh, the, the issue is that the law of Moses g- uh, gets special, deserves special treatment, um, because the, the New Testament... Uh, clearly identifies that there is some problem with the people of God uh, that Jesus came uh, to to sort out. There is obviously some very strong discontinuity between the old covenant and the new covenant, between the Old Testament uh, and and the New Testament, which, no surprise, because the Son of God became incarnate and died on the cross, and, and so you'd expect that. But the question then is, what is the nature of the problem?
0: Mm.
1: What is the discontinuity? And there is a way of reading some New Testament passages, I I would say misreading them,
0: Mm.
1: that makes us think that the problem was God told Moses, tell the people to try and earn their salvation. And then God sent Jesus to say, see, it didn't work, did it? I've got a better way for you. Uh, so we we can sometimes imagine that the New Testament is saying the law of Moses taught salvation by works. Mm. And the difference with Jesus coming is that we're justified by faith alone. And so I don't think it's quite enough simply to say justification by faith alone was there in Genesis, because, it, because if there's a plausible case for saying, well, then Moses, what about the law? Then I think what I want to do is look at the law of Moses itself this week and say, it cannot have been saying that. Mm. Uh, And then next time what we'll do is we'll look at the new Testament and show that indeed the new Testament didn't even dream that Moses was saying that. Uh, So uh, the new Testament doesn't think the law expected salvation by works and surprise, surprise, neither did Moses think that he was teaching Mm. salvation by works
0: hmm so i i think it's i I run into christians regularly and when they think of moses when they think of the um the old testament law what you're kind of portraying there this this um this switch from old testament to new testament or ways to be saved didn't moses experience god completely differently from the way abraham did moses and and the Israelites of his day?
1: Well, I think we, we have to say that, that no, uh, that he, he experienced God as a God who saves sinners by counting us righteous through a righteousness that we cannot earn, but which God gives us as a gift when we trust him.
0: Mm.
1: And you know even before we look at moses let's just i know next time is when we're going to really drill into the new testament but just think about the pharisee and the tax collector so the pharisee didn't go home justified he trusted in his own righteousness the tax collector didn't trust in his own righteousness and he went home justified now jesus we are told why jesus told that parable and the reason was not jesus decided to do a lesson in biblical theology To illustrate that the Pharisee um, was rightly trying to do what the law said, but it was impossible. So now you'll need to become the tax collector. No, Jesus said that he addressed it to those who were trusting in their own righteousness. Mm. And his mode of interaction with them all through the Gospels is to scold them for that. Mm. It, you know, It takes approximately three years of graduate study to believe that Jesus didn't have a problem with the Pharisees. It's such a ridiculous idea. He is constantly laying into them for trusting in their own righteousness. And in other words, they misunderstood the law. They were not supposed to do what, what they were trying to do. So, so with that as the end point, um, let's look at how Moses experienced him. Here is uh, Exodus 6 where uh, moses is sent to proclaim this to israel I'm, i'm in verse six i'm going to read to verse eight moses is told to say therefore to the people of israel i am the lord and i will bring you out from under the burdens of the egyptians and i will deliver you from slavery to them and i will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment i will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And if I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, what have I got to do? It sounds great. What do I need to do? What's the price for this ticket? But the very next thing God says, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Do you see how he begins and ends by saying, I am the Lord? We we said last week, didn't we? Why does this matter? Because it's the nature of God Mm. to justify sinners like this. And so no surprise that he says, I am the Lord. I'm going to save you. It'll be entirely my work. Why? Because I am the Lord who promised before you even existed. How much does your righteousness come into it? Did you even exist when I made that promise? No, that should be a clue that your righteousness doesn't come into it. Um, So they weren't told to earn it and they couldn't have earned it. It would Mm. have been too late. They were already sinners, both as individuals and as a nation. They were saved sinners. Who had already earned judgment, uh, and were therefore in absolutely no position um, to to earn credit to to get themselves out of that hole, because all their future life was already one they owed to the Lord. There's no way for them to pay off any kind of debt. Mm.
0: That you know, that brings up a question for me about the law, because typically we are as you referred to earlier, told that the law is to show us. Our need that it's this perfect standard. We know we can't meet it. Uh, the law condemns, so it'll drive us to to Jesus. No one can, you know, no one can can pass that test. So we need we need to go somewhere else. Uh, it, it, can
1: we still talk about the law that way? That's absolutely right. Uh, so, I mean, let's just establish some Protestant. Bona fide is here. Um, so let's take the, the Heidelberg Catechism, and and it famously begins with, What is your only comfort uh, in life and in death? And, and then question two asks you, How can you know um, this comfort? And the first answer it gives to that is to know the depth of my sin and misery. And then the third question is, So how do you come to know the depth of your misery? The law of God tells me so. So, yes, the law shows you your inadequacy, my sinfulness, my depravity, which is step one towards Mm. enjoying the great salvation uh, that I have in Christ. What would be a mistake though, Uh, because this simply doesn't follow logically, it would be a mistake to think that the law was ever given as a means of earning righteousness. It's one thing to say the law shows you that you couldn't earn righteousness it's quite another to say the law was there as bait have a go and you'll see that you'll fail that was never how it was presented it wasn't try this and when you fail come and see me and i'll tell you all about jesus Mm. um so the, the law was given to sinners who had already been justified and the law addresses us as those who continue to sin. And it never says to us, gotcha, you failed the law. Now go to the gospel. And that is built into the law. So, for example, um, at, at the individual level in, in Leviticus uh, chapter 4, verse 31, we have there: the priest shall burn. This is an offering that you bring for your sin. The priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Do you remember we talked last time, Noah chapter eight of Genesis verse 21, what was the difference between God sending a flood and God giving a rainbow and never flooding again? It wasn't that mankind had become good. God notes both times that mankind is sinful from youth, but instead that Noah made the sacrifice and the pleasing aroma Mm. is what God then uh, received. So that pleasing aroma is there in the sacrificial system. And what does it do? I'm still in Leviticus 4 and verse 31. The priest shall make atonement for him, for the sinner, and he shall be forgiven. Mm. So there is provision for sin, for atonement, for forgiveness within the commandments Mm. of the law. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this il- illustration. It's one that I found really, really helpful um, when I was beginning to get my head around the gospel of someone saying, you know, trying to keep the law. Look, the law is a pane of glass. It's, it's one piece, right? I mean, Galatians talks about if you try to keep, if if you fail to obey one part of the law, you're guilty of all of it. James 2, same, same point. So it's a pane of glass that was shattered long ago. You can't rebuild it. You can't keep it pristine. And the thing with Leviticus is that it shows you, yes, and it tells you what to do with the shards. So Leviticus does not present the law as a pane of glass that you are expected to keep pristine. And if you damage it in any way, you're out and bad luck. That does not make sense because it's dealing with sin. It's pieces of shards all over the floor and, and how do you pick them up uh, without, without cutting yourself? So the law is not presented, never was presented as um, this is what you must try and do and when you can't we'll we'll talk again. Mm. Um, we, we see that also in the way that the New Testament introduces um, the gospel, so the beginning of Luke. We've got there uh, John the Baptist's mom and dad, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and look how they're described. Verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Well, now let's think about that, because if they walked blamelessly in every commandment and statute, that means they offered sacrifices for sin, because that's a commandment but that means they sinned. So, they weren't sinless. So, how can it be that they were blameless in the law? How can it be that they were righteous before God, and yet they sinned? Surprise, surprise. It's because the law never offered justification by obeying the law. It always taught you are justified by faith Mm. alone. That is not the function of the law to save you. So the law was not an exam to be passed by 100% pass mark, nor a 90% pass mark, nor any pass mark, because it was not an exam at all in that sense. That was not the function of the law. Have a go at this. Um, yeah, so, so when Paul then um, tells us where does righteousness come from, um, you know, in, in Romans 3... We see there, shall I just read Romans 3 21 on? Mm. But, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Yeah. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, so as an atoning sacrifice by his blood, to be received by faith. But who is he talking about? Mm. What he goes on. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So the Old Testament saints were expected to trust that they would have righteousness credit to them, that they would be saved despite their works, that their works did not come into their justification, that they were justified by faith alone, entirely by God's grace, despite what they earned. And Paul is saying, and one of the things that the cross did was pay that bill. They received their justification on credit. It was paid forward. Yeah.
0: Uh, I think, um, I think, We're used to hearing verse twenty-three there for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, and and think, oh yeah, you have sinned, I have sinned, my my brother, my neighbor, the the guy down the street, and 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 there and are justified by grace as a gift. Um, But it does in context. He's he's not saying. I mean that's that is true. (laughs) You are, I am, but uh, he's saying we who are living post cross resurrection and those who were living during the time of the law and the prophets we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of god and are all justified by grace as a gift am i am i understanding that right
1: i think i think that's right i think that's how i read it Mm. Um, yeah I, i mean that and that is why in chapter four when he's going to go on to talk about is Abraham only the father of the circumcised? No, of the uncircumcised only. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the whole thing is because justification is by faith alone,
0: yeah.
1: it can therefore embrace the old covenant believers and the new covenant um, believers because justification by faith alone involves an, a righteousness from outside of you being mm. credited to your account and that is the righteousness of Christ who died on the cross at a point in history. And, and that is the only way. And so that covers everybody, yeah, old and new.
0: But we do see, help us understand this. Maybe we, we see in the old Testament, the breaking of the law, whether it's Moses hitting the rock two times and, and, or it's, Israel as a whole later on, the breaking of the law, the not keeping of the law results in judgment. And, and so h- help us understand how that's not, I guess, not a blow
1: against what we've been talking about the last two weeks. Yeah, sure. That's a, that's a brilliant question. So th- let's think about Moses then. In the, that example, he acquired, hits the rock. Uh, what is his fate? So dying in the wilderness, not making it into the promised land, that, that whole generation, those 40 years, the, the New Testament applies that to us as a warning. So Hebrews, Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4, uh, they missed out on the land, and therefore we need to watch out. Don't miss out. Um, Moses, if, if that meant that those who misbehaved and therefore missed out on the land weren't saved, which would indeed undermine justification by faith alone, right? They they weren't good enough, uh, their sins were too great for God to deal with, or something. Well, Moses died in the desert, as you pointed out. He was punished by not entering the land, uh, and we're told um, in uh, in Hebrews again, in chapter three, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by? Moses so maybe that entire generation were not justified by faith alone maybe they were supposed to be justified by works and they failed the problem with that again is Moses himself because in Luke 9:30 Jesus goes up a mount he's transfigured and two gentlemen appear and talk to him and one of them is Moses and Moses wasn't given a day pass out of hell Moses appears there as this glorified, saved man. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so nothing that we're saying means that God does not chastise those he loves. He disciplines us, Hebrews 12. There are going to be temporal consequences uh, to how we live, but, it, but we're asking the narrow question, how am I saved? By what means do I acquire the righteousness that is needed to be acquitted on Judgment Day? And the answer to that is now and always has been, it is only through the alien righteousness of another, credited to my account, bec- by God's grace, despite what I have earned, which I receive by faith. And in a sense, Moses' life is, is a brilliant illustration of that, be- because you, you see that, that actually that even this hero of the faith um, who you know, so many ways, so exemplary for for us. Hebrews eleven gives into a huge chunk of how he is an example of the life of faith,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and yet in the end he misses out on the land. But that's not missing out on salvation. That does not mean on judgment day he's going to be condemned. He had already been acquitted mm. by faith. I don't know. I don't know how widespread you think this idea is, but I think part of what comes into this is that. The New Testament uses the promised land as a type of the new heavens and the earth, as an analogy. It does not use it as instead of the new heavens and the earth. So here's what I mean. There's this idea abroad, this idea out there that all Abraham hoped for, all Moses, all of the Old Testament saints, all they wanted was a plot of land in Palestine. And they had no sense of the afterlife. They didn't, have any hope beyond that. And it's nonsense. Mm. You know, Hebrews 11 keeps pointing out that faith means that they hoped for things that were invisible, that, that, that Abraham believed in the resurrection of the dead, and that's why he offered Isaac on the altar, that, that Moses counted the reproach of Christ as greater than the treasures of Egypt. And you, you look at the life of Abraham and you say, what's the closest he got in his lifetime to inheriting the land? It's when he buys a burial plot for Sarah, right? Mm. And um, he pays a king's ransom for it. Um, I'm not sure whether you could buy Texas, maybe you could buy Rhode Island, certainly you could buy Wales for it. (laughs) But why would you do that if your hope is for this life? It was a very bad business deal, a very bad real estate deal. His realtor went home laughing that day with his 1.5% uh, commission. <laughs> it makes perfect sense if he was looking for Sarah to be raised from the dead and the land is where he was told to go and told to get, um, uh, you know, daughters-in-law to marry if it's where his people were going to remain. You know, they lived a life that made sense in the light of the world to come, not in the light of this world.
0: Stefan, for the, the rest of our time in this episode, I, I want to try to, try to take what we've been talking about and and try to apply it if we can to today. Is this, um, is this kind of like the, the bill of rights, Magna Carta, it's a historical, you know, curiosity, but, uh, with no application, I, I think there is, but help us, help us see, um, why this matters for the Christian.
1: Sure. Um, well, I, I think it does have, um, more resilience and ongoing applicability than our respective constitutional documents, <laughs> in, in this day and age. Um, sure. Well, let's think a little bit about um, how we talk about God and His righteousness in evangelism. So uh, we can we can end up, I think, sometimes say. In fact, I've heard people say this. I've I've said it myself. I'm pretty sure. Words like this, this is why you need Jesus, my friend, because God made a law that is far too hard to keep. And so you sin by breaking this law that was far too hard for you anyway, and that leaves you facing judgment. And so you need Jesus, which is actually pretty nasty, isn't it? It, Hmm. It's sort of what the mafia would say, isn't it? Um, You know, nice shop, pity if anything should happen to it, kind of nice life pity if something should happen to your afterlife kind of thing you know mm. god has painted you into this impossible situation but that's okay for a modest payment he can provide you with the solution um mm-hmm. and that's not the message of the old testament the message of the old testament is not for some reason known best to him he has told you to do what nobody could possibly do and then holds you guilty the message of the Old Testament is that we are guilty through and through to begin with. The problem is not in the law. The problem is in our heart. And the law exposes a problem that is already there. Uh, the law is not an offer to, if you can score 100, you'll be saved. And I know that you won't. So I'm waiting to see what happens when I kick you off the rung at 97%. Mm. Um, and I think we need to be careful not to present God in that way. God as the trickster, as the one who wants to condemn, and it—it it also means the way we're presenting Jesus it makes it sound like Jesus is up to something different than God. It, it means we lose the fact that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are always in perfect agreement. Mm. All of their works are one.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I, I do I have this memory of a particular friend, and I can't remember what I'd said to him. We can probably reconstruct it. But I certainly remember him pulling me up short because he said to me, you make it sound like the father is against me and the son is for me. Um, you know, this, this is somebody from a, a nominal Christian tradition, and, uh, and he was quite right to pick me up on that uh, because that is the way I'd been presenting the gospel. Uh, and it's really important to see that, before Jesus entered the world definitively at the incarnation sure we see Jesus in in the old testament but the thing that changed 2000 years ago that had never been true before is that god the son became a man forever and will never not be fully human as well as fully god so before that before he was in any position to plead the blood that he had offered in the cross to the Father, we had a saving God. We had a God who justified sinners by faith despite what he, we had earned. Not a God who wanted to condemn and then fortunately Jesus got in the way. No, Father, Son, and Spirit agreed that the Son would be sent by the Father in the power of the Spirit mm. to die for us at the cross.
0: Yeah, I think um, a, 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 kind of a question that goes along with that. Um, What maybe it's not that the father's against me and the son's for me, but that, and I've, I've felt this way. I know I've said this out loud when I wasn't, you know, when I was unguarded (laughs) in prayer (laughs) um, that I think God loves me, but I'm not sure that he likes me. Mm -hmm. Um, He uh, he loves me enough to tolerate me. Um, How does this, How does what we've been talking about help that believer?
1: The the reason why this is good news is that, yes, you should delight in your salvation. You should be really happy in that gift, but it is not given to you by accident. A, A pillar of Protestant theology is that we enjoy God, the giver, as well as, and more than, our salvation, the gift. So you have not entered into some strange plea bargain arrangement, some transaction with an indifferent or hateful God and come out of it somehow saved. No, this was all God's idea. God God loved you and sent his son for you. Do you remember we hear... Here on campus, I had the great privilege of hearing. Um, I think it was Sinclair, in fact, I'm sure it was Sinclair Ferguson, preach at a conference. It's a damnable idea that God loves me because Jesus died for me. The gospel is that Jesus died for me because God loved me. Mm. And what mm-hmm. clearer way to see that than to see that that has been what's going on in the Old Testament all mm-hmm. along, that before Jesus could die, because God the Son had no human nature in which he could die. God was justifying sinners by faith alone, purely because of his grace, because he is the God of steadfast love, of, uh, who is slow to anger, abounding in mercy and compassion, full of faithfulness to his promise to save a people. And so you can love God who loves you and saved you. Mm and therefore love the fact that you are saved, not just hold this sort of slightly stolen gift of salvation that you you think you've got away with by hook or by crook uh, in your arms. Let me put it like this. We haven't caught God in a good millennium. Mm. You know, there are days when you don't want to interact with me. You don't want to catch me on a bad day, right? We all have days like that. We have not caught God by accident in a good millennium where Jesus persuaded him to be a savior. This is God's nature. God is the God who saves. Mm. And it has always been sinners who cannot come within a country mile of saving ourselves, yeah. whom he saves by giving us as a free gift against our name in the law register, righteous mm. by the imputed righteousness. Mm of christ which we believe in and so are saved
0: amen Amen. I that's good news well Stefan, we um we're here at the end of this this second episode of three and next week we're gonna um put put all that we've said under the microscope a minute we're gonna look at the new testament and say did we are we understanding the old testament right <laughs> um so uh, to our listeners, if, if this sounds too good to be true, if, uh, if this uh, understanding of uh, justification by faith, the consistency of the goodness of God in the Old Testament in through the New Testament, if that sounds fabricated in some way, uh, <laughs> come back next week and, because we're going to look and we're going to ask, how does the New Testament look at the Old Testament on this question of justification. Um, so it, it you'll want to listen to that. But thanks for joining us, Stefan, and listeners on this episode of the Reformation
1: Fellowship podcast. Thank you very much to you and our listeners, especially if you're still here.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship podcast. We pray that this time together has been a blessing to you. The Reformation Fellowship is a ministry of union, and so, all that we do, we hope it helps you to delight in God, grow in Christ, serve the church, and bless the world. If that is your hope, that is your desire, then, friends, welcome to the fellowship.